Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Adventures in Isochronology, where we watch the Ecclesia wake up from her history in real time. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program as we get into Adventures of Isochronology. Tonight, Ben is going to take us farther and deeper down the rabbit hole as we begin to see the shadows and silhouettes that God's Word truly does have to offer. So, Tams, jump on here and uh, your opening thoughts over the course of the past week and where we're going to go tonight. Hello, everybody. It's good to be with you. Uh, it's been a bit of a challenging week, but good. And uh, I'm just excited to be with everyone and do this. Um, I really want to get in deep into Genesis 12 because there is so much here that's just going to reverberate through the rest of the word and I'd like to deconstruct some of these words in here as well um, but that's generally the thought is just to start here with Genesis 12 and uh, get into some of these words and we'll probably be here for uh, a good while this evening I would imagine so when you go to the place where God decided to even create the children of the promise. Uh, it's all right here. We have so much information behind it, it's staggering. Uh, but literally, you have the fall, and then you have Genesis chapter 12. So much time has expired. God has been so patient, uh, waiting for someone to call for a better use of the word, I guess. Um, but literally, that's that's exactly what we're talking about here. If you are not going to be able to understand the isochronal nature of the promise and how you yourself, whoever you might be, became a, a Christian without realizing that well, it started right here in Genesis chapter 12. So, I agree with you. We probably will spend some time here, no doubt about it. Amen. Uh, so, let's go ahead. I'm, I'm going to – is the ESV okay, or do you want me to do a different – read out of a different version? What, what, do you, what would you like? That's fine. The ESV will work just fine. Okay. All right. So, Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. The call of Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you the families of the earth shall be blessed. I'm going to stop right there because notice he specifically says that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, the chapter that precedes this basically gives you the table of nations. When you go back to Genesis 10, you get literally the 70 nations that proceeded out of uh, Noah, that are literally the 70 nations. Um, we see that in the New Testament when he sends out the 70. Um, but this blessing is for everybody. doesn't matter if you're black, doesn't matter if you're white, doesn't matter if you're Native American, doesn't matter if you are from the Southeast Asia, the Middle East. It's This is literally for everyone. Everyone is included in this blessing, and it all is rooted here. Um, and sometimes you'll see this referred to in anthropological circles or sociolo uh, sociology. They'll refer to the uh, Abrahamic law or the Noahide law. And literally, these are these are just the foundation uh, that you see in any really any culture. Um, people who believe that there is one God, people who uh, honor their parents who don't sin or try not to sin. They don't believe in lying. They don't believe in stealing. All of that gets its foundation right here in this very blessing. Um, but your thoughts? That's exactly what I was trying to to state before. We we have the table of nations, and you're literally shown point blank range before he ever states this, before he ever makes that statement, that he will bless. All nations, uh, all houses because of him. That was the whole point of the table of nations before it. And we have to realize that it, it ties in with the, with the very next phraseology. That they're going to have to make a choice. Now, they're all going to be blessed by way of this choice. Either they can bless or curse. We know that this does not bear ripe fruit until Christ's sacrifice. So literally, uh, the choice in of itself is the blessing. So it, 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 it doesn't matter where you're at in the table of nations. It doesn't matter if you're an Assyrian. It doesn't matter if you're an Egyptian. None of that matters. It's all completely ir irrelevant because Christ provided the sacrifice for all families. But you have to make that choice, and I do want to uh, mention this as well. The very first thing, it's going to take a relocation. Now, uh, perhaps not a physical relocation, but it's going to have to take a relocation, or perhaps it's more apropos to say a reorientation of your will. Ben? Well, that, that's exactly right, and I want to read this from the New Testament because the New Testament 
offers a very good commentary on these exact events uh, over there in Acts 7. And I'm going to start in Acts 7 with verse 1, Stephen's speech. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And said to him, Go out of your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed from him, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would be enslaved, who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they will come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. So Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. Patriarchs. I'm going to stop there because that literally just amplified what you just said. Both in terms of them coming out, which you, you talked about, you, you talked about the relocation, and then it talks about the circumcision. That is a, that is a requirement. And of course, we're talking about the circumcision of the heart. Which I talked about. I said it would take a reorientation of your will as we have the greatest example of Christ himself. Uh, not only when he wept even to the point of sweating blood mingled with his sweat, but the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. It takes complete circumcision of one's heart. It takes a reorientation, a relocation of the will. Amen. And and just to be clear here, uh, I'm going to back up one more time here, and I'm going to just visit something that I have heard in Christian circles, and we've talked about this before. Um in Genesis 9, there, of course, is the curse. When Noah woke up and realized that he had uh, been exposed in front of his children, and, of course, Shem and Japheth had taken a garment and laid it on their shoulders and walked backward and covered their father's nakedness, and Canaan, um, or Ham, had done not done that. And it says... Starting in verse 25, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servant, shall he be to his brothers. Didn't say Ham, it said Canaan. And of course, we know that that word Canaan means traitors. So we're talking about those that are exchanging. And you should be, your mind should be drawn to exactly what the Lord cleared the temple of, which was what people were doing. They were literally entering the temple and they were trading. They were trying to trade the blood of bulls and goats for their sins. And then he goes on and says, He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, 
and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And we're literally going to see that here in this chapter as we go on, because that word Japheth actually appears in this very chapter. Well, we need to back up a second and explain that just for a minute. What was Ham bartering? Well, ladies and gentlemen, verse 22 of Genesis chapter 9. Did he keep it to himself? Of course not. He went and told his two brothers. So, this idea of traitor <laughs> is a lot deeper than we all might think because it was right there in the text that he should never have told his brothers. He should have keep it secret or he should have went and asked their assistance. Now, this is why it says, you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that they did not ask his brothers for assistance. That's not what he did. He didn't go ask him, hey, can you guys help me uh, cover up our dad? That's not what he did. He just went and told them as to make either jest or to provide the opportunity for his brother's undoing. So, interesting indeed. I just thought I would bring that up as to why that's there encoded in that text, Ben. Amen. And you could also uh, say that the fact that that garment was laid on both of their shoulders, um, that is isochronal in the triumphal entry, right? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Yeah. So we're, we'll see that here in this chapter as we go on. Um, but I'll, I'll start here in verse 4, and let's just uh, – let's finish out the stanza. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to a place at Shechem to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, Bethel on the east and I on the, Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Do you have any commentary to, to uh, on that part of it, Matthew? Well, let's bring up the simple fact that he continued toward the Negev. He continued toward the south. Yes, the south. As he was moving along, he kept, well, uh, calling upon the name of the Lord in this journey. But we have to take note that there's some things that really stand out here. A death or some sort of situation had obviously happened, because how did he come into uh, the possession of his nephew? And it makes it pretty clear uh, that this is an important thing to look for in the Bible. And not only that, but this strange uh, oak that they came to at Shechem. So 
these things are are worth putting in your back pocket that for some reason a set of circumstances would arise that well it was going to be two it was going to be in Abraham and the lot and you're going to see that come up in quite dire circumstances of most notably with Sodom and Gomorrah but here you have this same uh, going all the way back to the two brothers that put their cloak on their shoulders. It took two of them to go uh, cover up their dad. So, with this in mind, you just keep getting this. You keep getting it, and you keep getting it. That it's going to take two, and, and no bones about it. When it comes to the end, it is going to be facilitated... Uh, the kingdom will be facilitated by two that are just like this, actually. So I just wanted to make sure that everybody kept those details in their back pocket. Um, it just randomly uh, brings up uh, his nephew, and it puts it in a way that it makes it stand out to you. Uh, and it never answers that question, why was Lot doing this? It, it doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense but there it is and you're supposed to put it in your back pocket and remember it and most notably well we can of course bring up uh, the Chaldeans this was a march uh, this was well let's let's go back to verse 28 Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in the land of his birth. Now there's only one birth. <laughs> Just one. That's the birth of Christ the King. In Ur of the Chaldeans. Here we have it again. You have this mention of the Chaldeans. Which of course we know what they were first and foremost. They, History screams it. They were first and foremost astronomers. And you have the interjection of the Magi into the birth, as I stated. So, you just read a little bit further and you just keep getting more and more details to stick in your back pocket. Uh, in verse 29, uh, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka, Sarai was barren. She had no child. Here we go again, straight back to, well, Mary. Mary, of course, was not only barren, she was a virgin. So, the details here are magnified in grandiose form with the birth of Christ. So, when you look, you should be able to see those details everywhere. And, of, of course, the, the most beautiful uh, retelling of these events is the book of Revelation. Uh, it's the book of Revelation that used the most color... It uses the most uh, vivid representations of this tale of the promise. And it all started with God deciding to call Abram out of the place he was in. Back to you, Ben. Well, this uh, the name of his nephew, Lot, that means covering. Amen? That's exactly what it means. So it, when you look at this, 
Now, not using the English, ladies and gentlemen, but when you look at what God actually wrote, well, we already talked about it. You have to go back to the two sons that chose to do what was right. This had everything to do with a choice. But Ham did not choose that thing. He chose to go tell his brothers and spread this, well, malicious truth. Now, it was true. They could go in there and laugh about or whatever. Who knows what was going on? Who knows what this exchange was supposed to produce? Now, let me rephrase that. Who knows what this trade was intended to produce? But like I said, it's already case in point. He was not asking his brothers to help cover up his dad. No, they chose to do that all on their own. So this, well, this bartering needs to be remembered, and it'll endure to the end, that thought will. Well, immediately your mind should be thinking that the tents of Shem, you should be thinking of um, taking on light as a garment. You should be, you should be thinking about the heavenlies. Uh, that is what should be coming to mind. But um, to your point about a death, uh, when we talk about these oaks, that is, it, it's common here in Genesis that we see a connection between people being buried uh, near these oaks, and even that word, oak, um, it is also translated plains. And it's it's a rather interesting word. Um, and this word mora, um, that word means former rain, early rain, razor, teacher. Um, so there's a couple there's a couple verses I want to I want to run over to just because they're. Um, they they amplify this a bit. So let me go over to Psalm 920. Hang on here. Let me pull this up. Psalm 920. And this passage is all about the wonderful deeds. And then he says, I will put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Um, it's actually talking about fleecing. That's actually what, what he's literally talking about is fleecing. And you see that, of course, with Samson. Um, he was not supposed to have his hair cut. And literally, Delilah was asking him where his strength came from. And that's an example of that. Uh, the second reference I want to talk about is Isaiah chapter 9. The, an Emmanuel prophecy. Um, I believe it's in 915, but hang on, let me pull this up for this particular, because again, this word more has many different meanings. It's used extensively in the New Testament in the Dillich translation, and it's, that's a, you could do four or five episodes on that alone. Um, I'm just going to read this. It's You can't go to Isaiah 9 and not read it, so I'm just going to read it. Um, but there will be gloom for her who is anguished. 
In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as the joy at harvest, and they are glad, and they will divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot on the trampling warrior is a battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to be established it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness for this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord will send a word against Jacob and it will fall on Israel. And all the people will know Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria will say in pride and in arrogance in heart that bricks have fallen. But we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. But the Lord raises the adversaries of resin against him and stirs up his enemies. The Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west devour Israel with open mouth. For all this his anger has not turned away. His hand is stretched out still. The people do not turn to him who struck them nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. So the Lord cut off from Israel head and tail, palm branch and reed in one day. The elder and the honored man is the head, and the prophet who teaches lies is the tail. For this, for those who guard this people have been leading them astray, and those who are guided by them are swallowed up. Therefore the Lord does not rejoice over their young men, and has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. For wickedness burns like a fire, it consumes briars and thorns, it kindles the thickets of the forest, and they roll upward in a column of smoke. Though the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched, and the people are like fuel for the fire, no one spares another. They slice meat on the right, but are still hungry, and they devour on the left, but are not satisfied. Each devours the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh devours Ephraim, and Ephraim devours Manasseh. Together they are against Judah. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his arm is stretched out still. So there you, you saw uh, that word is used when it talks in verse 15, the elder and the honored man is the head, and the prophet who teaches lies is the tail. Uh, that is a form of that word, um, mora, which is former rain, early rain, razor, teacher, uh, Joel 2. Uh, he also mentions it. He talks about the day of the Lord. Um, let's see here. Joel 2, the day of the Lord. And he literally says it, verse 23. 
he says, hang on just one second. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. Um, interesting, that word mora, it, it means, it, it, it touches us in a couple different places that you probably weren't expecting to see. Um, well, most certainly, and ladies and gentlemen, you have to remember that they do this with their jots and tittles, because just take note that, that what you're, what we're reading in the English there, if you switch it over to the Strong's, that's H 436, 437, and 438. So you have to remember that those jots and tittles, they're not supposed to be there. And you have to realize that all, all uh, Hebrew-speaking peoples know you can't know how to pronounce Hebrew. So the jots and tittles were just meant to kept to keep uh, all the different synagogues, uh, Russians and French and Americans, all on the same page when they read from the Torah and the Tanakh. So you have to realize that, that this makes Hebrew an absolutely prophetic language because, well, just like like Tim said, it was it was brought up in in those prophecies, and the one in the Emmanuel prophecy is was quite strategically placed. Um, and I'll speak about that just extremely briefly. You'll take note that where the word was used, it mentioned two. It mentioned two. You have to realize, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, well. There's always two, and in the end, there will be two as well. Now, we know that the false prophet is spoken of in this way, and we know exactly uh, what he's going to do. He's going to spread lies. That's exactly what the Bible says he's going to do. With the other one, I'm not going to mention that, but you do need to know this. It may come as a surprise to you. But the Jews know there are two messiahs coming. There are uh, two that you probably don't realize. One is uh, Messiah ben David. The other one is to be struck down, and they're going to mourn for him per Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. That is Messiah ben Joseph. So... With this in mind, the the those that study the Hebrew text knows this is going to endure to the end, and why this word was used in Isaiah chapter nine verse fifteen. But you have to understand there's some dynamic things happening here, uh, and I think I've spoken enough about that for now. But it's extremely important that you realize. What Ben is relaying here, that uh, this word being in these verses obviously had prophetic significance. Amen. Dear, you can literally interpose the former reign there and reread that verse 6 and capture a whole 
bit more of meaning that that is relevant. But um, let's let's go on. Okay, so verse ten. Now there will be a famine. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Famine, we should be expecting that. I mean, that's literally what goes on. At the end of Exodus, we see the brothers come down and join Joseph in Egypt. Um, and this it's interesting here that it mentions that this woman was very beautiful. That word for beautiful is actually Japheth. And we talked about Genesis 9 and, and um, dwelling in the tents of Shem, that Japheth would dwell in the tents of Shem. And you literally see a fulfillment of that prophecy in Genesis 18. because Literally, that is where Sarah is. She's in the tent. Amen? She's she's in the tent, and Abram goes out and visits with the Lord and with the angels. That's right, and we have here once again the tale of catastrophe. Okay? This is a tale of catastrophe. You'll take note, uh, we just read the Emmanuel prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 and the things that it stated. It just happened right here. Uh, those exact things just happened because, well, Pharaoh had no idea. He had no idea. He was seriously barking up the wrong tree. Now, I'm sure that Ham didn't know that either. But it remained. That the thing stated in the Emmanuel prophecy is coming true literally right here. Uh, this is a catastrophe waiting to happen. <laughs> and... What happened because of it? Well, right from the get-go, uh, you see that uh, because of this catastrophe, um, Pharaoh gave him sheep, oxen, donkeys, male and female servants. I, I mean, female donkeys and camels. <laughs> and because he offered... Now listen, ladies and gentlemen, you have to listen very carefully. Because Pharaoh thought he could – how do I put that? Because Pharaoh thought he could barter with the promise, he was about to reap the whirlwind. Now, just take note. This ties back into the, the simple fact that Ham was obviously not asking his brothers for help. He was – hoping something else would happen. And Pharaoh was hoping that great big things were going to happen, great big good things. Because he not only got the woman of his dreams, for her, he had given great wealth. I mean, you realize that this literally details Abram was instantly wealthy. Okay, he got 
sheep, oxen, donkeys, male and female servants. Not only that, he was provided with female donkeys and camels. So he was instantly wealthy. And you think that's all, but no. He was going to get all that stuff, and you can bet your bottom dollar he was going to get his wife too. So Pharaoh here, just like Ham in his ignorance, uh, thought that the promise could be bartered with or about. They were grossly mistaken. Ben? Amen. Um, Sarah is literally dwelling in the tents of Shem in Genesis 18, uh, which is a type of the Genesis 9 promise, right? We see that um, mentioned in Genesis 41, talking about the seven skinny and the seven fat cows. Um, this word Japheth, it means attractive, fair, and beautiful. It's also used to describe Esther, uh, specifically her shape. Um, very interesting word indeed. And extremely pregnant with prophetic information is what that word is. As you have exemplified, uh, no doubt about it. So I'm going to finish out the chapter here, uh, so starting in verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife all that he had. That's exactly what happens in the Exodus. Pharaoh literally told them to go. And when they left, they, they literally plundered the Egyptians, which is literally what Abram did to Pharaoh in this exchange. And it really makes you wonder what he was struck with. Because that's literally what it, it, it means, this word. Once again, uh, this word is divided up into uh, separate entries uh, for the Strongs. They tell you it's pronounced differently. It's a different word. But it's H50. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I hate doing this. It's H50 and 60 and 61. But just take note, ladies and gentlemen, that... Um, God obviously hit the bullseye. He hit the bullseye, and Pharaoh knew it. Because let's read that, and let's look for more infor information, right? 17, the KJV. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called to Abraham and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was your wife? Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's be honest with each other. Uh, why do you think it uses the word his house, or Beth, with great plagues? Ladies and gentlemen, no angel showed up and, you know, told... Uh, Pharaoh, what the problem is, but whatever this mark was, whatever this plague was, God hit the bullseye. He, oh, he hit the bullseye. And old Pharaoh didn't have to figure out why he was impudent, 
why he was unable to violate the promise of the Lord his God. Now, I say that for a reason. There is no other God, and it doesn't matter who Pharaoh was worshipping. It doesn't matter who he was worshipping. The Lord is his God, your God, my God, their God, her God, his God. Everybody's God. There's only one. So, I find it amazing that when people talk about this text, they never bring that up. Well, how did Pharaoh know it had anything to do with Sarai? Oh, it didn't have anything to do with Sarai. <laughs> she wasn't touched. That was pretty obvious in the text. And uh, you can just imagine if an unknown, let us say, venereal disease, you know, VD. Now, what would happen if all of a sudden, overnight, Pharaoh and Pharaoh's house, um, well, all had venereal disease overnight, and all of a sudden, um, well, it's obvious that uh, Sarai was in as much at least the top 10% in beauty that Pharaoh had ever seen. So he gets this, this, this elegant woman, and right from the get-go, he can't touch her. Of course, what was he going to say? Of course he knew exactly what would happen. There would only been one person to come into his house. And the sun didn't rise without he and his house being struck. Amen. And... Probably should have. I probably should have said something about the fact that it was his princes who saw her and took her to Pharaoh. That is correct. And well, this plays out into the end because well, let's just take a, a second. I don't want to get too far off course here. Look, the promise will be answered finally with a period. That period comes because we are taken to a place. But the rest of her children, well, they're taken by Pharaoh. They're taken by the beast from the abyss. And they are taken, and when they are, you have to realize that all the events take place, what you call the Great Tribulation, is in response to Sarai going into Pharaoh's house because she had been abducted by the princes. And that is exactly what's going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you're told point blank that at first there's a war and uh, Michael takes care of that fight. And then you are given the wings of a great eagle and relocated. The only reason why the tribulation happens is first and foremost... Because we're still a part of the equation. But literally, everything happens in the book of Revelation because of what you just read. Because it was isochronal. It's going a once around the ride. But that ride does have a final enjoyment. It has a final escapade. And the princes will be indeed involved. Ben? Amen. And I'll just add here that uh, 
Genesis 41, which is a another uh, use of that word uh, of beautiful, that it's talking about those fat cows. And just as we see when they are leaving Egypt, they plunder. Abram literally plunders the Egyptians, and that's literally what you you see. Uh, you know, he was sojourning. And um, when he left Egypt, he left a very wealthy man. And that's literally what Joseph interpreted for Pharaoh in the dream. The the skinny cows went and ate up the ate up the fat ones. And that's you know just another time around the ride, talking about the exact same thing. Talking about the exact same thing with a prophetic language that you can you can see it, but not in English. But that's beside the point. I mean, we've delivered this discourse in English. So it is there for you to see if you can just remember what you read before. I mean, if you remember uh, Genesis chapter 12, when you get to Isaiah chapter 9, it makes sense, Tim. It, it, it's literally an echo. It's just like you're standing uh, on one side of a great ravine and you yell, Genesis. Now, it echoes Isaiah, but it is an echo, and you can understand that it's an echo. It's much like we have talked before about the simple fact that before you get up to the puzzle, you can't see what picture's on it, but you know it's a puzzle. It's the same thing. It's it's an echo because you've heard it before, because you've seen it before, because you've read it before. You're able to subconsciously identify with the message and the promise that is eternal. Because all prophecy is just an answer to the parent prophecy. Amen. Amen. So there's a – I mean that that basically gives you the outline and form. Uh, so going to Genesis 13 um, – Matthew's talked about two, and we're going to see that here in this chapter. Uh, so starting in verse 1, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. And Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Now, the first thing that comes to my mind is the consternation that was existing between Jacob and Labam's uh, because the herdsmen were, were not happy with each other. Um, an isochronal um, event which matches this trouble between these, uh, these two herdsmen. That's the, that's the first thing. Amen? Exactly. You're seeing that same exact puzzle piece. It's got a different picture on it, but it's the same puzzle piece. And you've just heard that echo in a different chapter. We was reading 
chapter 12. Now we're reading chapter 13, and we get it again. It, it, it's using different language. Take note, one of the first things it said was, was here's, here's this random relative, Lot. What ha- why is Lot with that? Why isn't Lot with his dad? What, what is this orchestration going on? But it's an echo. You know that when you yell across the guff, you're going to get an echo. No matter what you hear, you know it's going to be an echo. So it, it, it's the same thing. So yes, we're seeing this picture again a different way, but it's the exact same puzzle piece. Amen. And and that word Japheth is used to describe Rachel, I believe, in Genesis 35. That's right, which is used to describe multiple sets of prophetic data. Not to those in question, because let's just be honest with each other. Laban's herdsmen, okay, Lot's herdsmen, all the herdsmen, nobody that was participating in this isochronal event could see it, but we can. So these events were not for them. They were for the children of the promise. Amen. And notice that Abraham, or Abram, I keep saying Abraham, Abraham Abram coming out of Egypt literally goes to Bethel, the house of the Lord. That's right. And, well, let's talk about another puzzle piece that's exactly the same way. We done brought her up, Esther. Esther. Okay, what happened to all of Pharaoh's house? They were struck. They were struck because they thought they could contain the matriarch of the prophecy. Same exact thing happens to Esther. She comes out. She goes to a foreign land. Uh, there's a ki- uh, There's a king. Okay, the king. And by the way, we're still talking about the same king. There's a king. And he's got a different wife, so she gets the shaft, providing the way for the matriarch of the promise. It's different, but and she particularly didn't want to go to where she was going. But God certainly called her out from a place and sent her into what you and I would call exile, but no, because what piece of ground? Now, let us remember... When it was talked about that everywhere Abraham went, he'd never been there before. Obviously, Sarai had never been there before. But in this place, what happened to Esther? Well, the same exact thing. And it even repeats to the bad guy, which you can relate him to Pharaoh once again if you choose to do so. Well, what happened to him? That's right. The king said, hang him and hang him high. So here we have it again. The same puzzle piece. Now, I'm sure that the sons of Haman got it a lot better than Pharaoh's household. Because like I said, that mark was obviously a bullseye when he targeted Pharaoh and his house. It, it it hit the bullseye, because everybody knew what was going on, even though nobody was talking about it. Because probably if he would have talked about 
the genitalia of Pharaoh's whole household being struck, I'm sure you would have reached a terrible end, not a pleasant one. He just wouldn't have, you know, killed you quick. No, I'm sure he would have strung you up actually by your genitalia if you just to do that. So here we have the same puzzle piece, that same echo coming across the guff. It's a different place. We've moved down the guff a little bit, a couple of chapters, or, or I meant a few yards, right? We've moved down a few yards down the face of this guff and yelled, and we got an echo, just like we should have. Ben? Amen. And, of course, it it's interesting that Bethel, and it says I, which I literally means a, a heap of ruins. That's right. A heap of ruins. <laughs> it's, well, like I said, it's a puzzle piece you can see. You may not be able to tell what the picture is yet because you're not close enough because you haven't taken enough steps down the side of the guff. You're not close enough to it, but you know it's a puzzle piece. Amen. So I'll proceed here. Uh, verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me. Let your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered, everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, After Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from this from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled at the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Well, the first thing I've got to scream is, why are we getting half the promise? But we are. Because we're not talking about Abraham. We're not talking about Sarah. That hasn't happened yet. But because you're given this information here, and you'll take note. He wanted you to see that. You had to see that. So he told you that what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah had not occurred yet. He he had to tell you that, and that's why. So, no one understand this, that, he's, that this chapter here is for great length. You'll take note, who got to choose the good land? Lot. So what does that mean? It means that Abram... He can't get the whole promise, right? You can't be told the whole promise. You can only be told the part of the promise while I've already talked about them. 
the ones that Pharaoh's servants is going to well harass the ones that Laban's servants is going to harass. We, we've already discussed this. Amen. And you'll take note that they are still intense. Um, just to be clear, we are dealing with a timeline, and I know everyone likes to talk about a temple, but to be clear, we're still dealing with tents, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to get a tabernacle first. That's right. You're going to get the tabernacle of David. Now, you've, you're told that up front. And you have to realize that this has got nothing to do the promise of the stars. Okay? You should know, for some, re for some, some mechanical reason, God did not tell Abraham yet that a portion of his seed would be numbered like the stars. He only tells him here as the dirt or the dust, the sand. So you should know that we're going to get a whole lot more information about them as exemplified in that very colorful book of Revelation. You're going to get a whole lot more information about these who are on the ground, literally on the ground. They're on the ground. Uh, they're going to be live and light-breaking during the events as they happen. And not only did they have to put up their tents, what, what does he repeat here? Verse 18, then Abram moved his tent. Okay, what do you do? You have to tear it down. You have to move it. And he came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he did what? Yes, he built. He had to build an altar again. For some reason, some way, some mechanical reason, the promise that is proportioned like the stars in the heaven is not going to have anything to do with these processes. They're going to be, well, vacant. They're not going to be there. They're going to be somewhere else. And the text we just read is just screaming it. It just screams it. It literally comes out and screams it. I mean, there was absolutely no reason... For God to change the tune. And you should know, from this point forward, all the way to the point where Abraham is told the full, well, the second half of the parent prophecy. That's Genesis 22 when he tells him, by the way, I'm going to tell you the part you didn't know because I kept it secret from you, Abraham. I kept it safe from Abram. To Abram... I told him that his descendants would be numbered as the sand on the seashore. But you, Abraham, I'm going to tell you the rest of the riddle. A portion of them will be reckoned, likened unto the host of heaven. Ben? Amen. And you should be... Considering that all of this sojourning is very much like the activity of that dove when it first exited that ark, um, it did not find a place to rest its head. It had to come back, and that's literally what you see Abram doing at this point in time, and that's literally what you saw the Christ say in the New Testament. 
he had no place to rest his head. Well, we can go further, and I'll go further. That wasn't the first bird that went out of the ark. Okay? The first bird, that was Abram. Okay? The second bird, whom you called the dove, that was Abraham. Amen? Amen. I bet nobody realized that those puzzle pieces can be so complexly, intricately simple. No, I, I, I wasn't sure if you were going to say that or not. <laughs> Amen. Um, again, you see these oaks mentioned. Um, we've talked about that before. Uh, we saw that in Genesis 12. And, of course, we're going to see them further on. Now, Genesis 14, it's rather strange that this pops in here. Uh, do we want to get into this today? I would say not. We're already over an hour. Yeah. So I would say right now is a beautiful time Well, for the wheel to stop this week, shall we say. Amen. I think that's right. But it is important that we tell the listener, you need to read these chapters in your own time. Not only that, if you have to drive to work or you're able to listen to an MP3 player at work, it doesn't matter what English translation you use, as long as it's a translation. Now, just so everybody knows, you need to look that up for yourself because the NIV is not a translation, it's a paraphrase. So the KJV, the New King James Version, the New American Standard Bible, the Web Bible, which I've begun to use, and I think I shall continue that course, but uh, uh, the English Standard Version, the Revised Standard Version, those are translations. Get that on your MP3 player and listen to it when you can. So take time to physically read it, but also take time to listen to it. Uh, because you're going to start seeing these, and you're going to realize, hey, that's not a picture. That's not a painting. That's not a mural. That's a puzzle. And as long as you know that before you, well, read and listen and learn, it makes it a whole lot easier. Whenever you recognize that, hey, if I yell, if I read this chapter, when I read other chapters... I'm going to get the echo. If I just wait just a little while, if I just yell across that gov, an echo is going to come back. Once you do that, oh my goodness, the things you can learn, Ben. Amen. Because literally that's, I mean, we are commanded to meditate on the Word of God, and that's literally what you'll start doing is instead of, Wondering about the football game or what went wrong, you'll start to wonder, hey, why did he use that word? Why is that there? Well, let's, let's magnify that. You're also commanded to write it upon your heart. So, ladies and gentlemen, when you're listening to it on your MP3 player as you drive or whatever, that's meditating on it. That helps you to meditate on it. And when you write it is when you read it. So... Please do this thing. It will not only make Ben and mine life a whole lot easier and a whole lot better, 
you have no idea the wealth of information that's waiting for you to learn. And it is more addictive than any pharmaceutical product ever made, whether legal or illegal. Believe me, it's addictive. Well, I understand, ladies and gentlemen. He told you that if you seek him, you will find him. And in order to make these connections, if you just understand, when you do an IQ test, an IQ test is all about your ability to recognize patterns. And when you begin to do this thing, your, how do I say this? Your, I don't want to say intellect, but your capacity to learn will be magnified greatly. Um, I was a pretty smart guy. I was a, you know, I was a chemistry major, but the, what I've done the past eight years uh, with the Bible and the things that I know, um, the connections that I've made, um, you know, usually they tell you that you, you mentally you start to slow down, but I can tell you, everyone I know that studies the Bible and reads it and carves it on their heart, like Matthew was saying, um, they have their mental facilities. Um, I can ask my mother-in-law, who is in her 70s, I can ask her, what is that? What was what was uh, Moses's mother's name? And she can tell me, which is just incredible. Um, and that's only possible because he, when you're seeking him, he will give you the capacity to do these things. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. You, you, you're going to have to be faithful, but every step of the way, he will be there with you. Um, whether it's studying in the Hebrew, whether it's studying in the Greek, whether it's just making the connections in terms of the timeline, when you're seeking him, you'll find him, and wherever you are mentally in terms of your capacity, he will stretch that, he will grow it, and give you what you need to do it. Beyond any shadow of a doubt, that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, and you'll take note, you brought up the seeking and the finding. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you listen to it, you're seeking it. You find it when you read it. So, I'm sorry, but I could just go on all day long because... My ears, well, what's the best way to put that? I don't hear what everybody else hears, and I don't see what everybody else sees. I mean, it reminds me of that old Andy Griffith uh, album uh, that my brother used to have. It was hilarious because it describes Andy Griffith going to a football game, and he has no idea what's going on. And he orders himself a big orange drink. And he's confused because he didn't know what this pumpkin was made of, but it couldn't be good that they were fighting over because you couldn't have ate it because they kicked it around all day. So, <laughs> so literally, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to get that and listen to it, and you'll begin to understand what I'm talking about. That I, I My ears don't hear what yours hear and my eyes don't see what yours sees because they've they've been redesigned they've went from Abram to Abraham it's nothing you yourself can do God has to do it and he will 
as Ben already stated. Amen. And how about your faith? I mean, uh, you know, you're the little little man, new in town, and some rich millionaire decides he's in love with your wife. If you was to watch any of these TV shows or any of these movies, you you, you know how that story ends. But here, um, if your mind is being renewed with the things that it's supposed to be, you look at a situation like that and you <laughs> you laugh about it because um, that is your woman, and the chances of anything coming of that is less than slim. It's it's absolutely none. It, it's it's less than zero. Yeah, you're into. Nil mathematics. It's, right. It's less than zero. <laughs> that's that's not going to happen. And all you can do is warn them. That's Amen. all you can do because the arm of the Lord is not only long; it's one hundred percent accurate. And he always Amen. hits his and he always hits his target. Amen. And this is going to build your faith by getting into the Word of God and reading about these miraculous things. This man was sojourning, and God took a situation that was designed to fleece him, and the one who intended to do the fleecing was the one that got fleeced, which is literally what he tells you all the time in the book of Proverbs. Right? They fall into a trap that they have set for others. They fall into it themselves. And that's kind of hard to accept when we're in the midst of the valley of the shadow of whatever it is that we're facing at any given time. But when your faith gets built up because you have chosen to spend time with him rather than all these other things, when you face those adversities, and I face them, I just simply, you know, I, I just, I... I, I hear myself saying to myself, Lord, I know you got this. I'm not exactly sure how you got this, but it's going to be interesting to see how you're going to handle it. Um, because my job is, is to be faithful. And your job is to be faithful to me. And I know you're going to bring me through this. And it's going to be amazing to see you work out these wonders. Because he, he he absolutely will. Absolutely he will. And absolutely he has. I mean, you, you lightly mentioned it. I mean, you spoke of one in her 70s. And beyond any shadow of a doubt. I don't have to ask, I know. I know why you're here. <laughs> because he not only was... He not only is, he shall ever be faithful to his own promises. Amen? Amen. And in order for you to be able to receive those people, you've got to learn his name. And when I say his name, I'm not talking about something that you utter like Spot or Keith or any of that. I'm talking about knowing him by his deeds. You know, you talk to people, um, if you talk to my mother-in-law, she will tell you that she is the mother of my wife. That's her name. But the God that I'm familiar with is 
the one that I know his deeds. And that's how I speak to him. Those are the names that I know him by. I know him as the father of Abraham. I know him as the God that brought his people out of Egypt. I know him as the one who sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. I know him as the one that is going to triumphantly return and set all these matters straight. And I have no doubt about that. Oh, <laughs> this is what Revelation is all about. you got all these kind of crazy pieces laying on the table. And the Lord God Most High, he who sitteth upon the throne, well, he takes those puzzle pieces and he puts them together. Just like that puzzle in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 13, Isaiah chapter 9, Haggai, Jeremiah, Daniel, Esther, Mordecai, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, Ephraim, Joseph. Yeah, he's going to put the puzzle together. And the crazy thing about the Lord is if the puzzle piece doesn't fit there, oh, it's going to go there, Ben. It's going to go wherever he wants it. Amen. If he has to part the sea, so to speak, to get that piece to where it needs to belong, uh, he'll do just that. Amen. Hey, man, he'll rip that puppy right in two, just like he did to Jordan. Amen. And you'll be left standing there scratching your head, like much has occurred over the past two weeks. Left you standing there scratching your head, looking at your hands like, how on earth did he do that? Amen. But this is exactly what, you know, the Israelites must have done. I mean, all of a sudden, the Jordan was just heaping up. I mean, the waterfall was going the wrong way. It just heaped up, Ken. <laughs> I mean, with no no rhyme or reason, and they just sat there. And you know what they were doing as they was walking across the dry riverbed, don't you? They were <laughs> creening their necks as they're walking by, like, what on earth? Exactly, what, exactly what you've done over the past two weeks, amen? Amen. Amen. And, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to see the resonating of him matching Abram's actions with his actions. And as you begin this walk and this journey, please just take some time, carve it on your heart. Genesis is the easiest place to begin because it's literally the histories, it's stories. It's the stories of what happened, it's the histories. And it is the easiest way for you to get familiar with all that is to come. And that's literally why we're doing this. Um, but meditate on it, get familiar with it, and let your faith grow. Because the world's going to tell you, this couldn't have happened, that couldn't have happened. <laughs> I laugh at them. Because when you actually begin to get familiar with God's words, and the patterns, the information which is encoded therein, uh, nobody's smart enough to do that. No. No, nobody's smart enough. I know people like to call books of the Bible, you know, written by this man or that man, but <laughs> that's a joke. That's a joke. Yes, it is. 
every single one of these are little golden pamphlets of the parent prophecy. So, doesn't matter what chapter we mention, that's what it is. It's a little golden pamphlet of the parent prophecy. That's all it is. All of it. And he did it. He does it. Therefore, you know what he's going to do. He's going to do it. Amen? Amen. And it is full of life. You know, those angels, they circle his, they circle him, and every time around him, they pronounce a new thing that they have realized about God. And the Bible works the exact same way. I mean, I used to wonder about that, but now, every time I pick up the Bible, I see something new that I didn't see the time before. And that's just another way of doing the exact same thing, because literally to be in the Word of God is to be in His presence, and He's faithful. It will bear fruit. Amen to that. It's alive. It is alive. It is teeming with life. Yes, it, it teems. Amen. It swarms. Amen. 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 Well, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to an end of another Adventures in Isochronology. I do hope you enjoyed. If you'd like to connect with us, we are on Facebook. We have a group. Just look us up. Massive amounts of things going on just today. Uh, it so happens that my son was at work today, and <laughs> he sent me a riddle concerning, well, Deuteronomy chapter 18, so we had to get into that riddle today. So, much massive things going on. So, you can connect with both of us there. It was brought to my attention that uh, Ben is not on there yet. He will be forthwith. Uh, he's already stated that, but I guess he hasn't signed in in a while, so my daughter had to take care of some things, but he's already been sent the invitation, so he will be there forthwith with his, well, availability. As you comment on post, he, I, everybody, Joe, Brian, we can all uh, throw our two cents in there, and just massive things going on just today. I don't know how many things I posted that was just off the charts that everybody was jumping on, wanting to see what it was they could see. Well, Ben, it's been a good one. Uh, let us say our goodbye, shall we? Amen. Thank you, everybody, for uh, giving us the time. I know you have many things that you can choose from, but you have chosen to spend it with us. And our whole purpose is simply to edify the body and to create to the degree that we can I partner with the Holy Spirit and interest in getting in and studying because whatever I have to say, it pales in comparison to what you're going to find in the text. But I love you and wish you all a good night. Amen to that, ladies and gentlemen. Amen. Me? I got a few more jobs. My most important one is to remind you when you wake up, when you lie down, when you walk, remember. Remember the promise. Adventures in Isochronology, signing off.